Okay, so hello guys and welcome back to Relevant Founders, brought to you by Relevant Software. Relevant is an international software development company that designs, builds and delivers world-class standard products for Fortune 500 companies and promising startups. Today, we have Noah Labhut, uh, CTO of Variable. Variable is an on-demand labor marketplace for manufacturing and distribution uh, that prov provides businesses with increased productivity and reduces administrative responsibilities, as well as providing people with more flexible work schedules. Hello there, Noya. Nice to see you today. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Matthew. I appreciate it. It's, uh, excited to be here in the chat. Pleasure to have you. Noah, uh, for our listeners, I always like to uh, get our speakers to introduce themselves a little bit at the beginning. So, um, Noah, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about, about yourself and your background. Sure, sure. So I'm a, uh, obviously, CTO and founder of Variable. Um, you know, I live in the States. I live in, uh, uh, well, I live in Grapevine, Texas. Our offices are in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, I've lived in Texas my whole life, gone to school in Texas. So I'm, I'm Kind of a Texas guy. Um, I uh, I'm married. Uh, I, my my wife and I have been married for 12 years. We have three kids, mm -hmm. uh, 10, eight, and five, about to be six. So we have our hands full at, at home too, and they're all playing baseball this year. So lots of baseball going on in our house. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a, a man of faith, so it's a faith is a big part of my life. Church is a big part of my life, and I'm also an outdoorsman. I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to be outside. I uh, love animals, wild animals and domestic animals. Um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit, a uh, little bit about me. Grew up in a small nice. town, uh, di didn't have a computer until I was a junior or senior in, in high school and then okay. kind of took, took it off from there. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously being an outdoorsy, as we would call it, and um, seeing like, it seems like you've got your hands full. Yeah, you've got three kids, you've got <laughs> uh, the business to run, um, you've got your hobbies to um, look forward to as well. How do you balance it all? That's a good question. Um, you know, it, one, the, the term that I really like, one of our early investors, uh, Brian Spaley in Variable, he said that startups are about, you know, work-life harmony, not work-life balance. And uh, I feel like that's how I try to balance it. Some, some, you know, weeks ebb and flow of, okay, I've got more work this week, or I've got less work this week, or I've got, you know, more family responsibilities this week, or, um, you know, my mind's about to explode. I need to take care of myself for a second. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of just look at the, the needs for the, for the moment. And, and, you know, um, obviously, you know, wife comes first, kids come first, and then everything else comes Um comes after that uh but it's it can be challenging sometimes to, to balance it all i also really like to spin plates and juggle things so i not not literally um <laughs> but but i like to be busy i like to be in my mind to be thinking about different things too so um so i kind of like the the so you, lots of things going on you but you're one of those that probably works better when you've got more uh, more to do i guess you know spinning those plates working better more productive um okay so now obviously uh, you've had many years, many years of experience of dealing with all of this as well, de dealing with the pressures and obviously the um, different challenges at the same time. How did you deal with it at the beginning? Obviously, now you've got the experience of knowing how to say, OK, let's stop. I need some time for myself, for my kids. How did you do it at the beginning? Do you see a difference? Sure. That's a good question. Um, 
I think the best way I'm able to balance things now is to really focus on the great opportunities versus the good opportunities. I don't always get this right. So, you know, don't, I'm not speaking this from a, uh, a finished position. I'm speaking it from a work in progress, but mm-hmm. um, looking for the great opportunities versus the good opportunities and saying no to more good opportunities and yes to more great opportunities. And that could be, that could be as simple as, you know, it's going to be a great opportunity for me or a great thing for me to get up this morning, to read my Bible, to be still by myself for a second so that I can start my day centered instead, instead of a a good thing, which would be to sleep in an extra hour. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so measuring those good or great things, I think is really how, um, how I tried to figure it out in the beginning. And that's how I was getting it wrong in the beginning. Um, So that's, what's different now in the beginning, you know, it was more of just like I was saying yes to everything. I was trying to do everything, be everything. And, you know, after a while, it's just not possible. We're humans. Mm -hmm. We have to, we have to balance, balance everything. And, um, and I think that's what helped me do it. Mm-hmm. You find it doesn't work, I guess, you know, going at hundred miles per hour all the time, is just going to burn you out and um, it's not going to produce what you want it to produce at the end of the day, is it? Tell me, let's start right from the beginning. How did you come up with the idea to build variable? What problems are you trying to solve at variable? Sure. That's a, that's a big question. Um, we're trying to solve lots of problems, but so the origination story, um, the idea didn't come up, come from me. It came from my partner, Mike Mm -hmm. Kinder. Um, so we got together in 2016 and got together for lunch. And, you know, during prior to that, I had, you know, I'd been working at a, um, or I'd started my own development agency was building startup solutions. So, you know, I was building the things and I really liked it. And I was like, I got the itch to do my own startup. I kind of want to build my own thing. I don't really have any ideas and, and, you know, it's not really my thing. I'm not really the idea guy. I'm the executor. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it's kind of changed now, but back then I was like, I don't really have the ideas. And so I talked to a good friend of mine, Ryland Barnes. Um, He's a tech entrepreneur as well. And he, um, I was like, Hey, if you need anybody looking for a CTO, you know, let's connect us. I'd I'd love to talk to him. And uh, he said, you need to talk to Mike. Mike's got a Mm -hmm. great idea. And so we got together and sat down over over lunch and, and Mike pitched the idea to me. So Mike is a longtime manufacturing veteran, uh, operations veteran. He's ran many plants, um, did, did so for GE, was a strategic uh, or director of strategic operations at PwC. So he knows this, knows this world, did it as a consultant for a long time. And what he saw was the technology, there's a lot of technological advances coming to manufacturing, but without solving the labor problem first, you couldn't, you couldn't take advantage of all the flexibility that was going to be offered by new tech. You mm-hmm. couldn't solve the labor problem. So he saw it immediately and he pitched that to me. Um, we sat down over lunch and having built, you know, startups, startup solutions, you know, I could shoot holes in startup solutions all day. I was like, that's why I don't want to do that one. That's why, you know, this, that, um, I had supported manufacturing in my past and I'd even worked on the shop floor as a college kid. So when Mike pitched me the idea, I was like, this is going to work. This, this is the one it's, it's going to work and, and we need to go do it. So um, we, we kicked it off from there and uh, that was 2016. And now we're, you know, now we're in 15 or 16 different States, 20 to 25 different markets and growing across the rest of the United States. Mm, quite a journey. Yeah. And quite a small time as well. It's not really that long, is it? Um, mm. So 
uh yeah so you've got mike who is more the manufacturing guy yeah i guess uh, you would be more the tech guy what was that moment over that lunch what was that moment that thought this is going to work sure that's a that's a great question um you know i looked into the environment that you know he obviously knew the environment as well i knew the technology and then having supported manufacturing in the past. So mm -hmm. when I worked at Alcon, I worked in the corporate world for eight years at Alcon Laboratories, fantastic company was very well taken care of, just got the entrepreneurial itch and had to go do my own thing. Um, but during that time for you know three or four years while I was there, I supported manufacturing from an IT standpoint. So I had an IT team and we supported the engineers on the shop floor and all the assets on the shop floor and all the systems, you know, kind of controlling not only the shop floor, but you know, ERP, MES, things like that. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm not sure if we had an MES, but, but seeing things around those, those types of enterprise systems. Um, and so I saw the environment and I was inside the leadership team of the environment. You know, was, I kind of had the, uh, um, the access to those people. So I understood, you know, the challenges, the rigidity, um, the real focus on cost and, um, you know, how demand or how issues really disrupted that environment. Um, you know, uh, you know, ebbs and flows of demand, issues with the production lines, non-conferences, things like that. It was an, it was an FDA regulated environment, um, and so I saw how disruptive those those things were, um, and how flexibility was super important. Go go back a, a bit. When I was in college, I worked as a on the shop floor as a um, I was packaging insulation. So as an operator, what we call them on our platform, and. I understood that environment. I understood how you know difficult it was. I understood, you know, how the times were changing where people didn't want to stand at the end of a conveyor belt for a company for 30 years. They wanted to do different things, learn different skills. And but I understood the hardworking environment and the types of people on um, on the shop floor. And so when you pitched to me, kind of those two experience experiences combined, I could see like, oh, well, this is providing a win-win for both sides. So businesses can achieve flexible capacity. They can lower their expenses. Workers can actually gain higher wages and grow their skill set. And we can pay them every day as opposed to, you know, like a, you know, biweekly or a, you know, bi-monthly paycheck. This is going to work. And so, um, so it was that moment. I was like, this is, this is going to work. We should do it. Mm -hmm. And it did. Yeah. <laughs> and it very much did. Um, very interesting. You're, and you're saying there, obviously, um, you've held quite a few positions before and even you were on the shop floor. Yeah, you've seen what it's like for these people. You've seen what it's like to have boots on the ground. How, obviously, as a CTO, one of your main responsibilities is hiring. Yeah, looking after people and the, the hiring part, the role. How has that uh, helped you uh, in your role as a CTO? Sure. That's a, that's a really great question. And, and hiring is such a critical aspect of building in a startup. The team is, is so critical. You know, I'm, I'm an engineer by, you know, by nature and by profession, I build software and, um, you know, growing a startup has really opened my eyes to how important people are. And in hiring the types of people that we hired, when I built my engineering team, um, a little, a little fortuitous. It, it was it, I. I partnered with a, a boot camp here locally called uh, Dev Mountain, and early hires were um, where we were we were pulling from their their boot camp pool, their graduate pool, 
And these are individuals that are essentially career changing, right? Like I've worked in this industry forever and I want to go into tech. I'm going to go to a boot camp, get the skills, and I'm going to get my first, first role. So there's a little bit of risk there, um, you know, to, to hiring someone who hasn't been in the business for a long time or is, isn't even a, you know, computer science graduate, right? What I found as I hired those people is they had the best view of, of these solutions and, and they're not, not manufacturing people. They're not individuals that, you know, are working on a shop floor, but they had the best view of the world um, because they came from a user's point of view. Mm-hmm. Right. They came, they came from a view of a different industry. They weren't, you know, writing code and thinking about the engineering and what can we build and how can we build it better and things like that, which are all important. It's a big part of the equation, but what came with that team and the team I have now is this combined view with, okay, well, how do, how do non-engineers see the world, right? How do non-engineers, how will non-engineers use this? you know, whether it be on our business side or our operator side. And that really opened up our, you know, our design process, our uh, development process um, to, to be, you know, I guess the word's a little more empathetic, right. To, to people over, you know, engineering something or making something work in an elegant way. It was all about how do we make this work for the people using it? Mm-hmm. which sounds so simple, but it was, it was pretty, pretty revolutionary. And, and that's how we hire today. We looked mm-hmm. at the people first, we looked at their track record. And so when someone comes to me and says, yeah, I didn't start out in, you know, in coding I had this long stint of, you know, whatever I did uh, back when I'm like, well, tell me about that. Cause that is interesting. You know, that is really interesting to me because that's going to make you a better engineer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's that, you know, the human factor, the human part of actually the role, which kind of strips it all back. And we all get so bogged down in what we're doing so much is sometimes you need that kind of that basic kind of view of it, that basic stripped back view of actually how it's going to look and what someone needs, seeing it from a customer's point of view in their shoes. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, we will go, uh, we're going to continue a little bit about um, staffing and team management because obviously we've already um, crossed over to this topic. And what tips can you give uh, to those managing uh, distributed teams if you do manage uh, these kind of teams? What kind of tips can you give our listeners? Sure, sure. Um, So at Variable, we're we're not distributed. We're all in in office. However, my prior agency... that I ran is called TouchTap. We, uh-huh. we were a mobile development uh, agency and we were fully distributed. So I had developers, you know, all across the U S some in Canada, um, some, uh, some across in the Europe and in, in uh, I think one in New Zealand as well. Um, and the way I can tell you what not to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> the tips I would say, uh, what not to do. Um, I, I highly believe that it's really important in or even in managing a remote team to get together at least as much as 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 little if if possible but i mean it's it's important to get together and see each other Mm -hmm. um you know so i hear remote teams like you know doing retreats getting together and maybe doing hackathons or having career or not career a company um you know sort of strategy sessions things like that um i didn't do that at touchtap and I think that was a big contributor to sort of a, a cold culture, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, 
when I say cold, like um, just non-connective. You know, I, I had good relationships with the people I worked with, but there wasn't really any excitement about the company. There wasn't really excitement about the mission. There wasn't really a connection to it. It people was just more of performing a, their jobs kind of thing without any kind of mm-hmm, exactly, connection. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I definitely would say, if I could go back and do that over again, I would get us together more often. Um, you know, still be remote, but like a kind of as a special thing. Okay, hey, we're gonna have a company retreat. We're gonna get together. We're gonna get face to face, talk, do the things, um, and then go from there. And, you know, with with COVID and with the pandemic and things, I know that makes it more difficult. Um, I, hopefully, what what I'm seeing is we're kind of coming out of that a little bit. So hopefully that that helps people. But that's what I would say. Definitely, you know, it's that bringing together as much as possible to make people feel they are part of the team at the end of the day, mm-hmm. isn't it? Feel part of the team right. and need to be proud uh, in what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, this being said, obviously, you were saying um, at the beginning there that um, you choose, you, you're very kind of, let's say, strict with the people that you choose because you want that kind of that human part. You want to know what is more interesting. You don't need to know just about their coding background, but what makes them who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, as for example, with uh, success, do you and how do you praise success? At, um, how do you praise it? Is it something that you need to and should praise within your uh, within your the guys' work for you? Yeah, I would say there's there's kind of uh, quick praise and then more um, strategic or formal praise, right? So that there's two things, two ways that I look at that, and the quick praise is really like showing your excitement for what somebody's working on, you know, um, what somebody delivers. So as kind of an, an example, um, I, I went out to one of our engineers, uh, who's one of our engineering managers now, his name's Pat Thibodeau. We, we, um, you know, we were talking one day and I was like, Hey, you know, I really, I really got this idea of this thing that we could put in the portal. You know, we don't really have a lot of room in the roadmap right now. I just kind of want to run by and see what you think. Um, and it was, you know, around a map and around workers and like showing proximity to a company, how many workers were around a certain company's area. And I was like, I think this would be really cool, you know, and I think people would like it. Uh, what do you think? He's like, yeah, you know, he got kind of excited about the idea. Well, a week later, he comes back. He's like, hey, no, come look at this. And, and he sits me down and he shows me that he took it on and, you know, did it kind of in some nights and weekends. He's like, I think I got a prototype for this thing. It looks really good. And the quick praise part of it was just, holy cow, like, mm-hmm. Pat, you did it. Wow, that's amazing. You know, like you did that. You, you made that from, from just an idea. You know, you just dreamt that up and, and created it, you know, and, and really showing that excitement, um, I think, was very affirming, not only to, you know, what he had built and the value of it, but my excitement for what he had built as, his, you know, as leader, right? And so I think that's really, that's critical, right? To get excited with your team about what they're working on, because without it, I mean, without it, you can't have that culture of like, this is really cool. And to be honest, software development is one of the coolest jobs in the world. I mean, it's pretty easy to get excited about it. It's like, look what you made, you know, look what you did. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, more, more kind of strategic and formal stuff. You know, I think it's important to reward people when they're doing well monetarily, you know, give, give good, good raises and say, Hey, you're doing awesome. Here's, here's a, a raise, you know? Um, we want to keep you around for the long term. I think, um, you know, also, you know, kind of surprising people with, yeah, you know, say random gifts, but just things that are a little more personalized. Like, hey, you are. I feel like you're this in the team, so I'm going to give you this gift for your desk that reminds you that I think that of you. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, giving people nicknames on the team, um, you know, or sort of like reminders there. I, that's a little more, I say formal, it's not as formal, but, um, but yeah, that's, I think those are, that's important. I think it's really important to, to the, the biggest thing I would say is that excitement aspect that the short-term praise that's, that's a really big deal. Do you know what that's completely true, isn't it? At the end of the day, one of your employees has spent his time um, trying to build that for you. And uh, obviously it's something that excites him. Otherwise he wouldn't be spending his time doing it or so much time and effort. And to see it being reflected back is something that is more really in, for a lot of people than what money could provide. You know, it's something that they're, they're proud of and they're even more proud that someone's proud of them. Um, Absolutely. And again, yeah, like you're saying with the, the nicknames and these kind of things, it's all that effort, you know, the tiny bit of effort to show that you put that time in to say, oh, here's a present for you because this is who I put, think you are. I thought about you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I want to say that obviously uh, you've got your own podcast, uh, which the guys have to check out as well. Um, it's uh, obviously a very, very interesting uh, podcast for all the big listeners of our channel as well. Um, so if you could just uh, give us a little bit about your uh, podcast, tell our listeners a little bit about it. And then also a question for you, which uh, is a question you always uh, give to your um, guest speakers. Um, let's talk about your MVP. Yeah. How uh, <laughs> have you built your MVP? Let's go from there. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I appreciate that question a lot. So Code Story is my podcast. It's titled Code Story. Um, I've been doing it since uh, 2019 and around 250 episodes now. And the, the goal the goal of the podcast is to surface the human stories of, of tech builders, whether that be CEOs, CTOs, uh, really in, anyone involved, uh, say anyone involved in the creation story of a product, um, of a tech product. And so the goal of the in surfacing those human stories is like to you know the early ideas like how did this even start or what problem were you trying to solve, and then like you said the MVP and I'm going to come back to that um, and the MVP portion of it and then also you know from that MVP trade offs and decisions like okay I can't build that first I can only build this first or I've got to take on this technical debt roadmap progression scaling team. All those things and, and the point is to through all those those kind of major milestones of building tech you know what someone went through you know um and it's not a, it's not a therapy session but it's more of like you know that person and i are in a coffee shop just chatting like oh how was that you know how did how did that how was building a team you know what did you look for in them that indicated that i like to say indicated that they were the winning horses to join you and um and so asking those things and the first half of the interview is all like those stories. And the second half is a little more reflective, like looking back, tell me about a mistake that tell me about where, where something went wrong or tell me what you're proud of. Um, you know, tell me what influences you mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So the MVP for my podcast was, um, was interesting. So that I, I mentioned Ryland Barnes, the, the guy who introduced me to my current partner, Mike Kinder, um, he longtime friend of mine, college roommate, um, we were in each other's weddings, still, still good friends and, and still support each other to, to this day. And, uh, I was like, Hey, I want to do this podcast. I want to build something like how I built this with Guy Raz, but for tech, you know, I'm influenced by that. You know, what do you think I should ask? Here's kind of my initial list of questions. And he came back with a ton of feedback. He was like, no, ask this, 
ask this, ask about mistakes, ask about failures. You know, those are where all the, the great stories are like, oh, wow, well, this is, this is great. Um, I was like, why don't you be my first guest? And so, so we did, uh, he came over to my house and we did the first interview. Um, and, and it took us two hours to get through everything because mm -hmm. we're also old friends. So, you know, we <laughs> just chat for a while. And, um, and so we did that. Um, and it took me six months to edit the first episode <laughs> because wow. I was okay. being so picky mm -hmm. with the, cause I, I put music to it. I edit it and I, I try to put a little bit of narration and things like that. Um, so it, it, it took me a long time and I was being a perfectionist. And finally about like month five, I hired an editor. I was like, look, I got to get on my own way. Um, so for the first two two or three seasons we had a, an editing team that was working with us we, we switched editing teams now it's back to just me doing the editing um, but I sort of have a system um, to where it's uh, and I'm not getting in my own way but that first MVP was um, overly perfected and uh, overly engineered the engineer me came out um, really really uh, boldly and um, but it was uh, it turned out turned out really good uh, everybody seemed to like it so I kept going it you know, it is something that um, sometimes you can get in your own way. And per perfectionism um, and obviously building anything yourself, sometimes it's difficult to take that first step. You take that first mm. step and then, okay, you can build from it from there. But it's something that we all have to learn, isn't it? Some first few attempts may be awful. You will look back at it in the future and you think, oh, God, I could have done better. But, you know, it's those important steps of actually doing it. Um, mm. Okay, very, very interesting. I've got a few more questions about the podcast, which we will come back to at the end. So uh, tell me a little bit more about Variable. Tell me the uh, MVP of uh, Variable that you built. So Variable, we're an on-demand marketplace for manufacturing labor. And so there's a mobile app side, which is the worker side. Um, and then there's a, a web portal, which is the for the business side. So it's a two-way marketplace, right? Uh, businesses are posting work on the platform and then operators or the workers are bidding on the work and they make a selection and then they get paid through the, through the platform. Mm -hmm. The MVP, the MVP per variable was, um, was an iOS app only and was a, a backend built on parse, um, which is still open source out there. I think uh, maybe, I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, but when we started it, it was open source. And Parse was an open source mobile backend as a service, um, node, node based, and then uh, built on top of Mongo. And so we built it with that. And then when we used a, a Angular template to build the portal for uh, for the business side, which um, it was rough. <laughs> mm -hmm. The first version, the first prototypes was rough. Um, you know, we, we got it to where it was working. We tested it in house. Okay. We can post work. We can pay people. It was built on top of Stripe for the, for the payments. And we were using um, Stripe marketplace or Stripe connect, which is their marketplace product. Um, funny story about the MVP. So we, we did our first, uh, first op, our first, um, first op. So operators were on the platform. Businesses were, you know, were posting. We had one business called EX, EXL Logistics. It's nearby here in Dallas. And um, they, they posted their work. Operators bid on it. They got accepted. They, show, we, they showed up to work on the, the first day, which, which it's our first stop. So we showed up there too. <laughs> and we were going to be there to support, uh, to support everything that they were doing. Um, 
on site with them and they did did the work at the end of the day the uh, the manager sat down to you know prove the work and pay the operator click the button and it broke uh, <laughs> and the, okay. and the payment mechanism didn't work and I was scratching my head going, okay, well, um, all right, one second, let me look into what's going on there. So I actually had to fix the back end and ship the back end. I had to call my lead engineer, Andrew Plan, who's been with us since the beginning. It was like, Andrew, this is what's going on. What do you think? And he's like, I think it's here. Check this. So um, checked it, uh, fixed, fixed the back end, shipped it right there. And he, you know, refresh his page, hit the payment button, boom, worked. We got our first $130 uh -huh. payment mm -hmm. <laughs> through the system. So the MVP uh, portal part was, was super interesting. Mm -hmm. So everything obviously coming with its challenges and unexpected challenges. What uh, for you personally, Noah, for you personally, over your experience and your, your journey with variable, what has been the most unexpected challenging uh, moment for you? Sure. Um, there's been a lot of challenges. Startups are full of challenges. You're up to your elbows and issues early days all, all the time. Um, so there's a slew, slew to pick from. I think mm -hmm. what, what's a really interesting one to talk about is our hypothesis on what was going to be the harder side of the marketplace. So we thought that businesses um, were, were just going to get it and sign up. And it's, it's going to be kind of an easy sell um, because the value prop is very, is very simple and straightforward for a business. Um, and we thought the workers were actually going to be harder. We're going to have to do a lot more work on that side to get them on the platform, keep them interested, um, et cetera, et cetera. What we found as we started um, going out and piloting the, the product is that it was completely flopped. The, the workers got it immediately. They downloaded the app, got on it. They were like, I'm ready to work. You know, where's the work? Tell me, the, tell me where the work is. And, and they stayed interested. They, they kept checking um, for work. And on the business side, it actually took a lot more education um, on the business side to, un, for, to communicate to them that one thing, we're not temp staffing, right? We don't identify, we're not temp staffing. We're a third labor paradigm. We're, we're not, there's full-time labor, there's temp staffing, and then there's us. Because temp, temp staffing has a place when you need to augment labor. We're not augmentative labor. We are on-demand labor. So we're short-term labor, which is a whole other conversation. But so, so we thought that um, it was going to be flopped. We thought that the businesses were going to be easier. They're actually harder. It took a lot more education. Um, you know, manufacturing, distribution, warehousing, they don't move real fast unless there's immediate value seen. And so you have to get in and sort of tell them where their problems are and be like, this is how this is going to fix this problem. So you kind of have to be consultants in that way. But that was an interesting um, interesting thing we encountered and had to figure out in the early days. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What about most recently? Uh, obviously some time has passed now. What has been the most challenging uh, moment for you most recently, post COVID maybe? Sure, sure. Um, you know, here recently, I think the the there's two challenges really that we're kind of working through. Um, one is sort of expanding the orchestration in our engineering platform, in our platform, the way our platform is engineered. We're going through kind of a monolith to microservice transition um, mm -hmm. where we're breaking down, you know, our big back end into microservices so that we can scale with our growth really elegantly, mm -hmm. um, right size all of our services and, and grow that way. It's going really well, um, but it's a continued sort of engineering challenge, right? It's to think through 
okay, how much effort do we put into retrofitting our monolith when we know that we're going to eventually carve everything off into their own services? Um, so that's been a, an, an engineering challenge, which is a really fun engineering problem. Our team loves it, but, uh, but it's still, still challenging. Um, the other thing, honestly, it challenges the market right now. Uh, the the um, engineers market, right? It's hard to it's hard to recruit right now, um, and and for for many different many different reasons. But um, the market is challenging. Um, you know, we're up against the Amazons of the world. We're up against the Microsofts of the world, and um, you know, we are a fully in office team too. We don't do remote work. We we think that where teams work best when we're in person. Um, not ag mm -hmm. not against remote work, but mm -hmm. we are we are more. Um, that's what we decided early on, and and it's worked really well for us, and so we stick with that. And that's a different that's a different paradigm than what's going on right now. Kind of what mm -hmm. is expected, and so we have to do a lot more. We have to put a lot more time into recruiting and having those conversations, um, and finding the right people who are going to come into the office. So that's another pretty big challenge. What are you doing then for, for this challenge at the moment? Obviously, finding these engineers, what are you doing to get them on board? How do you find these high quality engineers when the competition is so difficult for them at the moment? For sure. I mean, the, the things that we're doing, I think we're still trying to figure out what that formula looks like. But the things that we're doing right now is trying to partner um, early on with, with engineers in school. So uh -huh. we're doing a lot more internships with the local schools and schools out of state. Um, bringing people on and kind of training them up uh, in our company and our team culture is pretty awesome. So interns get in here and they kind of fall in love with the company and they want to stay, uh, which is great. It's, it's great for us. And so that's been our new strategy right there is to sort of target interns. Um, but we do, we target schools. Um, we, we headhunt on LinkedIn. We, we do a lot of LinkedIn posting. And um, so far that's kind of the things that we're doing at the moment. Um, but uh, we're still trying to crack that egg. Mm, it sounds actually like a, a, a very good approach to it because a lot of people, obviously, we can't speak for all, but a lot of people like that idea where um, they are, they're going to work for a company which is going to help them grow, which is going to give them the skills and the ability to go from here to here. And that seems like mm -hmm. what you do at Variable there. Uh, what I want to ask you, just two more questions. The future, the future of uh, variable, where does its mission stop? Is it going to stay mm -hmm. stateside? Is it looking to go further? Where does it, where does it go from now? That's a great question. Um, you know, I look, I can answer to the, the short term, I'd say. The short term goal is to go um, to stay stateside, but grow across all of, of the United States. Um, the goal is to really establish our footprint and our brand um, in manufacturing and distribution in, in the States. Um, after that, um, we, we've, we haven't had a ton of conversation about going international um, since the early days, but that may, that may start to come up uh, as we grow and establish. What we really want to do, though, what we know we want to do is we want to we want to enable operations managers to be able to visualize, understand, and react to their environment. Um, right now, we're doing that through on-demand labor. But in the future, what we want to do is do that through many other facets in 
manufacturing. And um, that could be around machines, um, that could be around flow, could be around labor for sure, but that also includes full-time labor. Um, and then uh, materials as well. But to give uh, an operations manager a view of their operation um, to where they can make more intelligent decisions, uh, that is something we're very passionate about and, mm -hmm. and something that's sort of on our on our purview or on our radar, it's a better way to say that, mm -hmm. uh, for the future. Um, mm -hmm. And so th that's kind of where we are. Quite a big task as well. It's going to take quite a lot of work, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, last question to you, Noah. Um, very interesting for me and all of our viewers, I'm sure. Obviously, you said, I can't remember exactly, was it 250 um, episodes you've done of your uh, code story now? 250. Give or take. How and what? So actually, let's go with what. What has been the most interesting or the most valuable information you have received from um taking these interviews from taking these podcasts what have you what is the first thing that pops in your mind when you think of all the speakers that you spoke to which has helped you and variable on its way oh man that's a great question i've got i've gotten so much from the conversation selfishly i get it's almost like i'm having the tech leaders just coach me through the podcast and mm -hmm. and it's really it's really fantastic um i think i think what's been there's a few few really big takeaways. Um, one, how important the team is, and how shared, uh, how important people are, um, how shared that is through tech founders and you know engineers that are building these really complex and and awesome you know products, and they're engineering and having to solve these engineering problems. And I ask them what they're most proud of, and they say my team. And 99% of them don't hesitate. They're like, I'm proud of the team. You know, and, and as an engineers, we're like, yeah, look at this cool stuff we built or look at these cool things, you know, and look at this big problem that we're solving. Still, it comes down to the people, right? The people uh, are what's most important and what's most what creates most pride is mm -hmm. is that orchestration of a team. And so that's been a huge, um, a huge thing for me and a huge like validating thing and how much we pay attention to our team here. Um, the, the other thing is, is sort of the, an interesting kind of back and forth between scaling and how you approach scaling. And I think that's, that's helped me think about how we scale here at variable. Um, and, and I'm talking more on, on the engineering side, uh, but could be on the people side too, on the engineering side of like, you know, there are, there are ways to over-engineer scaling too early. Right. And I think. Um, you know, I, I heard a lot of stories of, of people, well, actually, I, I hear a lot of different stories from people like, yeah, we, we tried to over-engineer too early and it took us too long. Um, or we didn't engineer enough. And so we're kind of fighting this now, uh, as we grow and it's a little bit painful because we didn't spend enough time engineering. So there's a balance there of, of trying to find the sweet spot of scaling. And so I try to be mindful of that when we're, we're scaling our systems at variable, and, and, you know, going from monolith to microservice or expanding our usage of orchestration and containers or, or, you know, diving into AWS and thinking about how we can optimize our databases and, and, and things of that, that nature. But I think about, okay, is this the right time to do it? Uh, is it too early? Is it too late? Is it too complicated? Is it the right problem for us to be solving right now? Or do we have time? And, and I think that's been really 
a really big takeaway for me from all those conversations. Um, and again, selfishly, I just get a front row seat to be like, oh, how'd you do it? You know, tell me I'm like eating a, eating a bag of popcorn mm-hmm. going, tell me the stories. <laughs> absolutely. And, and it's, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. You get the, the first row, as you said, and all of that, it's the, uh, your learning experience is something that you can use. I guess it obviously has its challenges as well, because you've got some people saying, I do this, some people saying, do this. And you have to find the middle ground of what is right in your opinion as well. So, mm-hmm challenges but most definitely something that that helps and i'm very much enjoying your your podcast as well um so yeah okay no thank you very much uh, for joining us today it has been a pleasure uh, to speak with you today we've taken a little bit more time uh, than uh, you promised us so very much appreciate that hey guys i hope you enjoyed this video if you did be sure to press the thumbs up button below Also, subscribe to our channel to make sure you don't miss out on any future content coming your way in the near future. Also, I really want to know your opinion about this episode, so be sure to leave a comment down below in the comment section. Okay guys, that's all for now. See you soon.